the first few years, the nightmares and reoccurring bad dreams and feeling very insecure and afraid of what could happen if my dad comes, tries to come back into my life. But I knew he was 150% going to be there to protect me. I went down there towards his house one night and I was going to I was going to hurt him. Like I had to drive for about 45 minutes to get there, and I had a chance to think and stop and calm down a little bit. I said, let's, let's do this the right way. Let's go through the courts, and let's, let's deal with this legally because it, that's never a solution. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it, and 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We often wish these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And I normally say we've created a place where we can talk about this, but we are in Cedar Edge, Colorado. Colorado, yes. And we're in this really cute chapel, and we're going to record this on location. We welcome today our guests, Steve and Deborah. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today, guys. Yes, thank you. You bet. So, you know, before we get into your story, I just want to say that, you know, this is, this is like really quintessential as, as to what we really do, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing real couples' stories to all of you out there, our listeners. And, you know, the whole premise of this was to kind of help everyone understand the normal challenges and successes of couples all over the world, right? And we just met Steve and Deborah recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are now in location in, in Colorado because, you know, we're just kind of looking around for uh, some property out here. And yeah. uh, Deborah has been a wonderful realtor, you know, for us. And uh, we met her husband as well. And so we wanted to bring their story to you guys as well, because it's a very fascinating one. Absolutely. So before we get into your story again, why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you and uh, what do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? Well, I'm, uh, I've worked for the federal government for 30-plus years, about 32, and um, I, I'm, I work in the Department of Energy and, and do communications work. Um, 57 years old. I've been married for almost 37 years, and um, we married right out of diapers. So. <laughs> True story. Yeah, I'm Deborah, and I sell real estate, obviously and have been doing that since 2002 and um, met Steve in 1984 and we uh, dated for eight months before we got married. I had turned 16 years old 
four days before our wedding day. So we've been married literally all my life, it feels like. (laughs) But it's been good. It's been good. Can you tell us the story of how you met? Oh, we met. um, I was living with my grandparents um, due to pretty hard childhood. Um, My grandparents took me in, and um, I had started attending a church with my aunt, my grandparents' daughter-in-law, and he went to that church. And um, I saw him and thought, okay, I like his Levi's. I like his Converse tennis shoes. I like his plaid shirt. And he's a pretty attractive guy. I want to know more about him. And I just kind of watched him for a while. And um, first thing you know, I started asking questions. And then he got word that I was asking questions some kind of way. But he wasn't at all interested because I was quite a bit younger, five years younger than him. At and that you time, were 15. I was 15 yeah. years old, so he totally was not interested. And uh, so I just had to pray about it. I just said, okay, God, you got to help me with this. <laughs> and he did, obviously, because <laughs> here we are 36 years later, two children, three grandchildren. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, um, I um, was, was back from reserve duty in the military, and so I, was, I had just got back to town, and she was attending the church, but uh, she was obviously too young to date to have any kind of interest like that. But, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I wasn't particularly looking for a real relationship when we got together. I just wanted someone to hang around and be a pal with. A buddy. That was what we said, <laughs> buddy and pal. Um, but um, uh, it, it He just, wanted somebody to go bowling with, go out to eat with, and just hang out with. And because of my childhood, I was not in that place. I guess you could say I was ahead of that space. I was not into wanting to just go bowling and just hang out on the weekends. I'd already lived quite a long life prior to that, it felt like. And so I was ready for, like, settle down, meet someone, spend the rest of my life with this person kind of thing. At 15? At 15. Wanting to settle down at that point? I did. Wow. I wanted security, and I wanted love, real love, uh, not abusive love, if you can even put those, same, those words in the same sentence. I don't think you can, but um, I wanted, yeah, I wanted a, a whole life and not just, yeah. So that's why I was like hoping. I, that, I think you can put those words in the same sentence, oh. and I think that's important. Okay. Because I think love is just a connection. Hmm. Now it's the quality of connection that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And when you say abusive love, and I think this is unfortunately a very common experience for young girls Hmm. um, and even older girls, right? And I don't know how much of your childhood you want to share, but I think that story is important Mm -hmm. in terms of there is life after that. Oh, for sure. And there's healing and there's hope. For sure. There's, and I've never had any issues sharing my story with what happened to me as a child from the time I was nine years old. Um, I've often thought about writing a book, honestly, but it would be, it would have like multiple layers to it. It would not be one book. So, um, because there was more abuse prior to the abuse that I experienced because my mom went through abuse and uh, by my biological father's son, 
who was from a previous relationship. And then when that happened and put her down, she was bedridden for almost a year because of that. And was that a physical abuse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. he had assaulted her and took her out to murder her. And she jumped from a moving vehicle going 45 miles an hour and just about died. So my grandma um, stepped in and took care of her. And my dad, my biological dad, took care of me and my sisters. Well, and then my half-brother obviously went away, because he should have. But um, so he, my dad, kind of began to treat me since I was the oldest of the three girls. I kind of became the wife in the home, I guess you could say, in every way. So, um, and that lasted for three and a half years of my life. And it was a very difficult time. Um, and I did feel very suicidal. And I did attempt suicide once I realized that that was going to happen to my sisters. And I absolutely was not going to see that happen to them. So I had wrote a very long letter explaining, here's what's been going on. Take care of my sisters. I love you. I just can't live this anymore. So, and then... How old were you when you wrote that? Thirteen. So I'd kind of lived a whole full life by the time I was 13. So um, anyway, I did attempt suicide. My sister happened to walk in the bedroom as I was trying to end my life. And interesting, I I don't even think we have enough time to go through all of this, but interesting enough, um, she started screaming. My mom comes running in there, and her first statement to me was, um, has your dad been abusing you, you know? And I said, yeah. yeah. So she didn't know, or she didn't she, want to She didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. That's the whole size of it, because she had lived in an abusive situation with him, and so she was afraid of him herself. So why would she want to see him, you know, doing that to me? Um, so I don't think she could accept it. I think when I look back on how everything went down, I see her as just as just as much of a victim as I was mm-hmm. in this whole situation because she didn't know how to get us out of that. You know, after she found out that that was truly happening, it's like, okay, now what do I do? So she gathered us up and took me and my sisters to my grandma's house. And, of course, when they found out about it, it was like, hmm. And uh, my granddad, being the man, testosterone, screaming, you know, where's he at? I want to kill him kind of thing. But he did, you know, obviously did not do that. But um, so long story short, it uh, ended up, we, I stayed with my grandma. My mom went back to uh, my dad. We ended up going to court, ended up in a trial. Uh, and it basically was myself and my grandparents against um, them, against them, basically. So that's that's why at age 15 you were ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd moved in with my grandparents. Um, my mom, we ended up on opposite sides of the situation, and it took us several years before I could even really communicate with her even throughout that whole thing. My dad ended up going to prison. He was there for 18 months, um, but I moved on with life. I just, my grandparents were a godsend for me because they loved me and supported me and they were there and um, 
through the hardest of hard times, you know, for me. Um, but yeah, 15, I was attending church regularly with my aunt and my uncle and, and just trying to stay focused on positivity, on living life, on finding peace, on getting over the hurt and healing. I, I desperately needed that. And I had tried several other means in that time period um, from 13 to 15, and they didn't make me happy. They made me feel empty and hopeless. And then after going to church and finding true peace, which what I found in Christ, obviously, because he just did a work in my heart that healed a lot. And then I started saying, I don't want to be alone, and no one's going to love me, and who's going to love me? I've got so much baggage, and there's so much dirty laundry in my life, and, and feeling like I was never going to find that love, because I was told that for years. No one else is going to love you. No one else is going to treat you like I treat you. Um, and so in my mind, this is what I'm, I've got to overcome. And so I just, my aunt and I, I said, you know, what do I do? She said, well, we're just going to pray, and you're just going to, you know, you can overcome this. And that's really common to the uh, wearing down of your belief system about mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I just, I, I just totally said I, I'm ready, you know, for a relationship. For, but I didn't want to find it in the wrong place either because I already had boyfriends that were not great. <laughs> And so I was tired of the ones that pretend to love you, but they don't really love you. Mm-hmm. They're just using you, basically. And so I, I uh, changed my um, pool to so select from. So Steve basically. wants to be your buddy. He was my buddy. He, <laughs> he was wasn't my looking pal. for those things. He wasn't. And that was so funny because he totally did not have a relationship in his mind the first night he took me over from church. <laughs> well, I had already attempted that whole dating thing, and... Um, it, I was very uh, committed to God, and I, I, didn't, um, I didn't want to be involved in a sexual relationship with a young woman, and not, not, you know, unless we got married. And so the girls I had tried to date, it was not, uh, it always, within just a little bit of time, it always evolved into, this is going to get physical. And so I just would not pursue the date, the, 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 the relationships with them, because I didn't really didn't really love them, didn't really care anything about, just just trying to get to know them. But it it was a very fast thing. Everybody wanted to just progress right to that immediately. And so I had just about quit even attempting to date anybody. And so why why was that really important for you? And and where did you learn that from? It was part of our my belief system, uh, theologically. I was raised by my, my dad was um bit of a mess he um he he drank a lot he was an alcoholic and uh so he was gone a lot didn't i mean he would be on benders for days and not even around uh, and um so i had been mentored by older men in the church pastor and older family members uh my great uncle some other older guys there and so we would hunt and fish and do things like that and spend time together and and they these guys mentored me and you know things that are important from a biblical perspective not to do you know not to be sexually active unless you're married and you know and then once you're married that's 
the person that the only person that you would participate be bond with at that level and so I um when she was there and we start dating you know um, uh, I, like I said I, I had just about given up on the prospect of dating and so that's why when I approached her about it, it's like you know just want somebody to hang around with but uh, it didn't take very long I was kind of knocked off my rocker there and uh, my dad so, told me sometime later he said boy you were pretty good up on when you staying up on the log but when you fell off in the water you fell all the way in the water <laughs> because I mean she just um, I tell people that she put some kind of a, of a hex on me and and I come to three years later and I was married and I didn't even know how it happened <laughs> but uh, it wasn't like that it was really it evolved fairly quickly our relationship our affection for one another and and we struggled with the uh, the whole being intimate and physical and, and and but we did not we did not cross that line and and, and do that and until so we decided after a few months there we we got engaged a couple months after we were dating two months two months, mm -hmm. two months. we started dating February twelfth was actually nineteen eighty four and then by April he proposed. And you're still 15 at 15. this point, and uh -huh. you're 20. 20. Yeah. 20. How yeah. did you guys decide that? I, I just, we had already, I loved him, obviously, before he ever officially said he loved me. But I had, um, I give love pretty easy. And I know some people do that and some people don't. But I, when I realized what kind of person he was, and it didn't take me very long because I kind of watched him prior to us going out obviously. I was watching too and, and so that was part of the reason I decided to take her out was because and this is a person I, I'm not going to get into that jam with it's not going to be the same old mm -hmm. deal she's not going to be trying to to consummate uh, a week after we start dating mm -hmm. and so and she didn't she she I mean no the I was in therapy for obviously for a year uh, the court ordered me to go to therapy and rightfully so um, and my therapist watched a transition in me and I wish I could say her name, but I'm not going to say it, but I'll never forget her as a person. She was just a great person that I could just share with. And, um, but from the beginning of that year that I started that, I, she watched me transition from being high or stoned out of my head every single weekend to this person who no longer needed the drugs and the alcohol to get through life. And then I crossed over into a relationship with, with Christ. And then from that, I started dating him after that. But she never realized, she never saw that part of it. She told me that typically in my situation, what would have happened would either I would have become more like a prostitute or I could have actually ended up in more of a, a lesbian type situation or it's very rare that you end up in a monogamous situation where you devote your life to one person and he's there you know for you and that you stay together and that kind of thing so I honestly I, the odds were kind of stacked against me, mm -hmm. so to speak. But um, I'm really thankful that Steve was willing to take on the challenge, <laughs> I guess <laughs> well, you could say. my parents say. were a little <laughs> apprehensive of that because my mom was abused as a kid, and 
she struggled with that. And so they, both of my parents were concerned because it was, her situation was public. I mean, it had been in the, in the papers and everybody knew what she had been through. So um, they were concerned that it would be, that we would, we would have difficulty. And so I um, told them, you know, by the time they started kind of mentioning that to me, it was, I was already completely head over heels gone. It was too late. And so, you know, I said, it's going to be all right. Because obviously you've got to have God in the middle of the thing. And I, I really believe that that's the secret to, to our success mm-hmm. is that we kept God in the center of our relationship. We pray together. And, we... and anytime, you know, everything that we do uh, is going to be up against that standard, that measure. And it's, it's not, you know, the right and the wrong of it. It's not, it's not only that. It's the, you know, how is this going to affect this other person? My attitude about her. It's, it's even if you are ever tempted to uh, be, you know, with the op, somebody else or something, it's always, how is this going to affect my wife? How is this going to affect my mate? And so you don't, you don't even really consider it as a possibility, you know, because I always think about things three moves ahead, like playing chess. I always, okay, if this happened, then this, without, and then this, and, and, Early in that thought process, if I've ever been tempted with somebody, I've had some some females try to try to uh, make a move or something. But yeah, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> and so, I, even with that, I've I've always early because I run through it in my head really quick, and I'm, oh, the the hurt, and that's it's it's just out the window. I'm, I'm not going to consider this. So you know these belief systems that both of you kind of created, it, it didn't come from any role modeling. Because your your parents really didn't role model how to have nope. a healthy relationship together, Mm-mm. and how to dedicate yourself to a partner. Mm-mm. One thing I think is interesting is that we know that a lot of people, especially younger people, they really look at relationships like, "What can I get?" Mm. And it sounds like your relationship with God was like, "What can I give?" And mm-hmm. I'm I'm held accountable, and you go into this relationship with that as your framework of how is this impacting other people, mm-hmm. not what, what am I getting? Right. And we know that that is really key in having a long, healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've tried to tell young people that because we've been in ministry a lot. And so when, when young people are getting ready to get married or they're getting into a serious relationship with somebody, you'd say to them, I've always tried to say to them, if you'll derive your joy from making your mate happy, you'll always be happy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if it's all about what you need, your needs, and I want them to fulfill my needs, that's the thing that you can't control. You can't control what somebody else gives you, but you can control what you give them. That's the key. Mm-hmm. So what was it about each other that you fell in love with? Um, his conviction, his morals, his love for first of all pleasing god his the vertical relationship that i saw between him and his creator that's what stood out to me and then on a fleshly level it was that pair of levi's (laughs) 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 and that converse those converse tennis shoes and that really 
dark tan he had with that brown plaid shirt. He was <laughs> quite attractive, if I can just tell you. <laughs> it was her. Um, she's a she's a gifted singer, and so her music, you know, she would participate and sing and do things, and so it was it was captivating, you know. And she was our relationship as we began to spend time together. Uh, just it was just clicked it was just right it was just it was very meant to be uh, we wanted to talk mm -hmm. i mean we'd go on a date and come back home and talk on the phone till later on yeah. in the night because her she was young and her aunt i had a curfew she had a curfew obviously we come yeah, in one night should. we were <laughs> late one night right. five minutes late i think five minutes after i 11 was grounded for a week that she wouldn't let her go out with me for a week grounded for a week and so it was but I watched her for a while, and, and, you know, even after that, you know, having somebody that you can trust that they're not going to betray you, they're not going to cheat, because um, that kind of thing, my, my, my dad did that uh, because of alcohol. This is another thing is that I determined young that I would never consume anything that's going to make me forget what I did last night. Mm. I'm never going to be out of my head, because I am a human, I'm male, and, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't trust myself passed out drunk. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And I also don't, don't ever uh, allow myself to go anywhere and to be alone with the opposite sex. I just don't do it. Now, you know, in the, in the beginning, though, you, you had said that you knew about Deborah's past and the stories and been in the paper and all of that. Did you have any concerns initially? You know, I, I don't think I did because initially... Like I said, I wasn't planning to get serious with her. Right. Looking so, for a pal. Yeah. And that kind of I was just, shaking chicken blood. There was a voodoo doll that's involved. What I told honestly, no. Poking and sticking the voodoo doll. <laughs> just no. kidding. No, I, I, I didn't. I, I wasn't looking that far ahead, to be honest. And even when my parents started talking to me about it, I, I think I really deep down felt like, you know, because I had watched her life there for some months before we started dating. Um, I really felt like God had already taken care of, uh, was was helping her through everything that she was going through. And I, I still believe that's the that's the secret. I, I, don't, I don't think you're gonna have a good life if you don't surrender that to God, to uh, his guidance and his, and, and you're just give your life. Because I think if you do that, he's going to help you make decisions that are, that are gonna make your life good. And, and I think, and it's, all, it's, it's always about uh, choices and consequences. Everything in life is about choices. And con there's consequences. That's what I'm saying about cheating. If, you ever, if it ever was, came to my mind, uh, it's like the consequences of that are just unacceptable. And so I, I, I don't think by the time I fell for her, I, I didn't, I was long past any, like, uh, we can't do this because I'll be worried about what's, what's going to happen, you know, and so I didn't. I wasn't worried about it, ever. For, for the man who thinks multiple steps ahead? <laughs> I, I do. And he I, I did, but, but that's, there's a caveat to that. If you are completely head over heels, gone for somebody, <laughs> I, I don't know if all of that logic is necessarily working yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but so the, the age gap actually worked in your guys' favor. It did work in our yeah, She was more mature than me, I think, probably at 15 than I was at 20. And legally, things would have been bad for you. It would have Very been. And, and we didn't. But I, you got to understand, at that time, I was on the deacon board. I was 19. 
I was on the deacon board. I was a Sunday school superintendent. I was very strict about my convictions about doing right and wrong and not participating in any kind of thing that I perceived sinful. Um, and so I didn't, um, it just didn't, I know I had heard people say that about jail bait and all this business, but this is because they're, let's be honest, they're having sex. I mean, we were not having sex. Yeah, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't have sex till we got married. I'm not going to say that um, my and thoughts was, were pure. And even for me, <laughs> even for me through that, that process, and I, I really didn't have a great taste in my mouth, so to speak, for sexual activity of any kind. And so it wasn't hard for me from that standpoint of going into the relationship with him, but as I fell in love with him and as he fell in love with me and that was being reciprocated. That was the struggle. That was the struggle because then I did want to naturally, I was naturally drawn to him physically. And that's really important and a lot of couples aren't even close to doing that. They're having sex long before they even know each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. yeah. It's sad. It's, it's, yeah. It, it's too cheap. Mm-hmm. And we don't consider that cheap. Mm-mm. So. And then you have to get over that throughout your relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it, it makes sex more of a priority than the actual relationship right, and right. the connecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Sex Be- is a part of the relationship, but it's not the whole thing. Right. And, and the, the companionship, that's the reason the longer you stay together, your companions... If all you have is the sex, then and you're not friends. I know people that are that way. They, you know, they talk about, but they they don't really have. They're not friends with their just spouse. Cohabitating. Mm-hmm. They're I, just. And we're the same. friends, and the sex is a part of it. But obviously, but it's not the whole thing. Mm-mm. So, did you struggle with trusting? Like, is this really real? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and the first few years. Um, the nightmares and reoccurring bad dreams and feeling very insecure and and not from him but from just afraid of what could happen if my dad comes tries to come back into my life or and but I knew he was a hundred and fifty percent going to be there to protect me and to shield me from any more abuse but it was more um, it was more I know he loves me. I know he'll be there for me. But how long is he going to endure all of this every night or every other night, waking up, me screaming to the top of my lungs, scared to death? And how long is he going to endure all of this himself? Because it was, it was like he was having to go through some of the abuse. And but, he, and but I'm he a guy, shouldn't have. And so I, my first reaction when everything like that is to get angry. <laughs> and to want to cause bodily harm. Because you wanted to protect her. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I'm still that way with, with every every one of my family, the grand, right on down to the grandkids and, and every one of them, that if you threaten them or you are a danger to them, it's going to be a bad day for you. And yeah. so I, I, thought about, I thought about really having some kind of a physical thing with him well, that's because even years after the abuse was over, after he served his term, and every year at Valentine's Day only, I would get a card from him in the mail, and we were sick of that. And then the phone call, calls started happening where he would call, and he would talk very vulgar and very ugly to me in the middle of the night. And um, I had to press charges against him again, 
go back to court after I had children and had to still go back to court and fight him and um, to prevent him from continuing to try to bother me. So it was a very hard time, not between the two of us, but because he wanted to go just take him out. Mm -hmm. So he would leave me alone. I I went down there towards his house one night and I was going to, I was going to hurt him. And then I was begging him, I bet I'll be without you. And so I, fortunately I had to drive about 45 minutes to get there. And I had a chance to think and stop and calm down a little bit. I said, let's, let's do this the right way. Let's go through the courts and let's, let's deal with this legally because it, that's never a solution, uh, getting even vengeance and hurting somebody. I mean, it's just not a, you go to jail then. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, didn't I, I imagine that. that must have felt like very powerless for you, just kind of watching her go through those. It was, especially when we first got married, and she used to have the bad dream. That was a tough time because every time she would wake up, I would be immediately aggro- angry uh, at at what had caused her to get into that state, and just trying to reassure her. But eventually, she got past I it. I did. What What is the line that you tell men? So as a, as a partner in a committed relationship, I tell men that you are the sum total of the pain caused by every man in her life. Mm. And does it sometimes feels like you're paying the bill for every, every one of those men. Okay, and that's what I saw, or that's what I felt. So in response to your question, it scared me that he was having to pay for mm-hmm. what someone else caused in me. How long was he going to stick that out? Mm-hmm. That's where, if I had any doubt, it came from that thought process. Mm-hmm. Not because I didn't feel like he loved me. You know, I knew he but loved you me. Were too much. But that this was going to be too heavy for him. Mm-hmm. This is just too heavy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, because it was a lot. It was a lot. It, and, and a lot of people that go through abuse... They don't always process it so young. They usually start to actually process it at menopause. Wow. And, you know, the difference is is that you can lock up a part of yourself and you can go through the motions of being a wife and being a mother, but you can't have your heart open. Mm-hmm. And you guys went in this with your hearts open. Correct. And so you didn't have a chance to button that all up and wait until your kids are grown and you can finally have this other hormone shift that opens this stuff back up. Mm-hmm. And it is years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is years to heal. And it's, you know, you, it's, it's happening in your sleep. It's the part of your brain that is unconscious mm-hmm. that stores it all mm-hmm. and, and then fights with your conscious mind. And so it, your stories are really incredible because most people don't do that healing that young. Hmm. So how many years did that go on for what was the journey oh, the first few years of our marriage it was like that uh, I think by the I time had, the kids were born when I had we, my first child it changed it started changing because our focus my mental focus had to shift it was no longer about like just the two of us there's another human mm-hmm. being in our life now that we focused all of our attention on and this was our you know our new love and so it did I did n- notice a shift now that I'm talking to you Mm -hmm. about it it was during that time that we were having our children that that shifted and there is a hormonal thing that protects you Mm -hmm. so they say that women during childbearing years are healthier Mm. and the 
worst mental health is women between the ages of 42 and 62 wow. because of the hormonal shifts of menopause mm. and all that stuff comes up for healing. Mm. So those, that all makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What, what were some things that he did that were helpful for you? Oh, wow. So he never, he, he's always tried to, I guess you could say, pump me up as a person. Um, make me sound better than I actually am, actually. I mean, in his eyes, I'm supermodel material. Obviously, I'm not. <laughs> but it, you couldn't convince him of that. Um, and so to him, I'm the most beautiful person in the world. Um, my actions, because he treats me that way, I obviously feel like I just want to just dote all over him because who doesn't like to hear how beautiful you are and how incredible you are and, you know, what a great mom you are and you, you've been a very loving wife and, you know, he just says all the right things. He, um, That's just the obvious stuff. <laughs> see what I'm saying? How can you not love that, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know how I feel about lying. I I, no, you don't lie. Did you okay. have an idea of how to help her or is no. that just your nature and no, I he just, just love me. I didn't, I didn't have any kind of, I, I don't know if I even realized the, the depth of what she went through about that because I, I could, I didn't really have any frame of reference for that. I was not abused. My dad doing what he did was, I guess in a way it was abusive to the family, but I was not, I didn't go through that kind of thing. And my mom was always pretty, she was very involved in, in church, and so, I mean, she had a lot of imp impact on who I became as an adult because of um, our theological discussions that we had a lot. So we would we had devotions every day, and we would talk about, you know, biblical examples and all kind of stuff. And like I say, I had these other guys who would give me a, somebody gives me a pointer about something, and, and we, even after I got married, you talk to somebody, a pastor or whoever, and you say, this is going on here, and, and then you get their take on it. And the men that I uh, were in good influences in my life were all in stable marriages for their whole life. And so they were, uh, they gave good counsel. And so I was receptive to that. That's the other thing that we always tried to do is um, we didn't avoid people that were having problems because we enjoyed helping people. But our close connections, the relationships that we delve into with our whole hearts were with people that were of the same type you know relationship they were very committed to each other they loved each other they wanted to spend time together they weren't trying to get away from each other they weren't trying to have girls weekend boys weekend separate it was let's get together you plus know? there's real risk in hanging around with a couple who are in marital trouble right because they're if you're not careful they'll be pursuing something else, something extramarital themselves. And so it, it, even if you don't consciously say we're, we're going to, you don't, you don't become best of friends with somebody that's going to struggle. So, so you always sought out couples who would resonate with the same belief system that you both have. Absolutely. Yeah. Pretty and much. when you did talk to someone about your relationship, they they were giving you good advice. Correct. Uh -huh. And they weren't trying to pull you apart or Undermine some the other, other stuff. One. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, happens. in other words, I think it's a real mistake for a young man or woman to have a lot of close counsel with someone who's divorced. Right. 
because the person who's divorced, their perspective is that we can just throw this away and it's, it's, it's like marriage is, is, is expendable. We can just get rid of it. We, we, we didn't, this didn't work out. We'll give it a few weeks and then we'll do something else. And everybody that we had any interaction with, it was our whole upbringing, our whole belief system was that once you marry and you make that commitment, you're married. You're, that's, this is for life. This and we did, we always, I mean, it's not been a perfect marriage. No. It's, we've had our fights, and in that course of time, um, 36 years of it in 1999 was the only time in our marriage that we ever actually discussed the D word, where that... I don't think we brought it up. I, I believe one of the I kids brought, brought it, it up, up, and Amber said, you're getting a divorce. Our youngest child heard our argument, and I come, thought she brought it. I thought she you know, actually said that word. It, well, you had cut your thumb really bad. I, I it was a bad. It was a bad moment. He had um, was putting an air conditioner in a window, and he and I had been fighting, and um, because we were in a different place, um, and it was a financial, very oppressed time in our relationship, and and he was feeling pretty distraught, and I was feeling pretty overwhelmed with everything, and. And I was like, you know what? You just go your way. I'll just go my way. And then we'll just deal with our own problems, you know, the best way we can. And I was trying to get her to move somewhere. And so uh, it came to me pretty clearly when it escalated to that point that it's that the D word came up. Um, I, it came to me really clearly, drop this and just let this go. And so I began to pray about it, that if, if I'm supposed to go to the place that I think we're supposed to go, then uh, God's able to help her see that. And if he doesn't, then maybe we're not supposed to go there. And so I just, I didn't bring it up again. I purposefully decided not to bring that topic up again. So and, fast, and you wanted to move because of finances, right? Yes. Financial was, reasons. That was the biggest reason. Yeah, because where we were at, we were, there was a it was like a, a black hole. We were not going to get out of that. It was not going to be good. And in the same state that you guys were always Born in? and raised That's in. That's where we in were North at. Carolina. We had Born lived out here and had gone back. And when we went back, the, the bottom completely fell out financially. I lost a lot of money going back there, and so I wanted to come back here to this job that paid a lot. And um, she didn't want to come back, and, that was, and so that was what the schism was about. And so by the time... I, after I realized that this is not, this is going to escalate beyond completely and destroy us. And so I just completely, I wouldn't bring it up again. Even if she had brought the topic up, I wouldn't have discussed it. So fast forward from 1999 to now, and obviously it worked out like it was supposed to. Yeah, you're here. We're here. <laughs> and it's been better than, obviously, he was right, and I was not about that topic. But it's not, <laughs> it's never been like, Oh, I'm right, and you're no, wrong. No, and he never made it seem that way either, ever. What was happening in that situation? Because it sounds like you were always able to resolve a lot of things. Why was this one such a big deal? I think she, when we first came out here, it was completely alien to everything that we knew, our church and everything. And her mom had a hard, really hard time while we were over here. Her house burned. It was for her. And so she thought if we went back to North Carolina, we could, we could help her. Turns out that we didn't really help her, I don't think, being there. But at the time, when you're here and you feel completely helpless to help your family, all of our family were over there. 
And so she felt like if, we, if I'm there, I can help her. Um, so the thoughts of us leaving again, it was just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving her again. And, and uh, I think it took some time for her to come to grips with the fact that she was not going to be able to change her mom's situation. I tried. You try. Mm-hmm. You, it's your mom. You know, she give birth to you. And so um, she had had a hard, she, my mom had a really hard life as well. And I just was trying to help her in every way that I could and let her know that I love her and that I forgive her for her rejection of me when I needed her most. And I wanted her to actually know that was the truth, that I wasn't just saying that, wasn't just words. It was something I meant. So we gave up a lot to move from here back to North Carolina in hopes of being able to help her and restore relationship between she and I that we had lost for a long time. And, and the fact that he is willing to do that, again, another proof of his love for me, that he would go to the end of the world to do whatever he could do to make me happy, to prove to me that he loves me unconditionally. And so... We're both fixers. We are. We try to be fixers. We do. We're going to fix things. I, mean, I can fix this. Yeah, I, I just knew this. I could get back there and I could but fix often her. you find out that, that with emotional things and with people, you can't fix you it. can't fix it. And, yeah. and, and you can just completely run yourself in the ground trying to fix somebody that doesn't want to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And you will be unsuccessful and you'll destroy your own life if you're not careful in the process. So we reached a point and when I realized that it was not gonna you know work I told him I said let's go let's go back you know was that an an important part of your healing journey to go back and to try to help your mom probably a big part of of what I felt like was going to be necessary um it's like mending a bridge it was I felt like I needed to do that because she was in a such a bad place she was in a a hospital um, a psychiatric unit actually and after her house burnt down and things went um, really got bad for her so I felt like I need to do this I've got to get back there to help her I feel like if I the one who she hurt comes back to offer her support and love and be there to help her get through this, that it'll pull her out of it where she was at. But I also feel like that's gonna help me to heal, you know, as well. And, and this hurt that you're talking about is, goes way back oh, yeah. to when you started living with your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was And then nine. when you and Steve got married. It goes back to when I was nine and my mom was not there. And, and, and like I said, she struggled because of what had happened to her. So it just goes back a long, a long way. So, and I'm, you know, I never told my age because women are not, we don't do that, but I will tell you I'm 52. And so from nine, you know, and during that time frame. Um, I just I just felt like it was important to try to heal that relationship with her. So you just carried that guilt. I did. I did. Because oh. logically, 
it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we should have a certain relationship with our parents. Mm-hmm. But when our parents are broken, mm-hmm. then what do you do? Right. And part of, uh, and, and this is boundaries with a lot of, especially with mental illness, is that you cannot care more about someone else's life than they do, or you just keep going in the pit with them and you never help them out. Right. Yeah. Right. I think part of our thing, the thing, one thing we shared in common was neither of in our with our parents at least one of them in her case both but my dad um, they were not there when you needed them to be there and so I think we have been doggedly determined to be there and not be absent for each other and the people and in our your children lives. and our offspring and the ones that we were responsible for we decided to bring into this world so we felt like we have to be there for them i mean through thick and thin whatever life brings yeah i think we get the the lesson and then we get the opposite of the lesson Mm -hmm. and you either wind up replaying it and Mm -hmm. trying to heal it or fix it Mm -hmm. but just keep doing it or the opposite which it says i didn't like how that felt I'm not going to do that to another person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get the lesson and then the choice mm-hmm. of whether we're going to learn from that lesson. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's part of the thing about, about infidelity is that it is so destructive. It's a great trauma. It mm-hmm. is. And it is so, it's like suicide in a way. It's so selfish. It's all about what gratifies you. And so... It is completely alien to anything that that we would would do. Mm-hmm. It's just not. The other thing that we always found in very important in our life is throughout the years, every year, even after our, our children were born, every year we made it a point that during the time of our anniversary, we were going to separate ourselves from our everyday routine our everyday life. This is going to be our time. We've made it another year. We are going to go celebrate that. And so we've made it a a point every single year at our anniversary to take one, two, or three days or longer if possible to just be together, just the two of us. No children, no anything. You know, just us, just our time. Developing that relationship, developing that friendship, that mindset of... We're in here for the long haul, dude. You're you're stuck with me. You understand that? (laughs) You are stuck with me. (laughs) And that was right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even when we were broke as a joke, we would try to find a way to Even cheap ways to just go be together. Yep, exactly. I think that is um, that idea of you're stuck with me Mm -hmm. is what all human beings really long for is to have a person who they can really, really count on and feel safe with Mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. And everyone tries to look for it out there Mm -hmm. instead of do right with the person you're with. Yeah. And the payoff over the years, I always say it's like chicken soup, you know. Mm -hmm. First it's just a carrot and a celery and Mm -hmm. some chicken, but then the infusion, the infusion, you can't tell it apart anymore. Right. To the part where it is, if it hurts the other person, it hurts you. Yep. Also. Yeah. Well, he always says, you can try to leave me, but I'm going with you. Yep. <laughs> That's why I said, if you ever leave me, I'm going I'm with going you. I'm going with you. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think a lot of couples, they try to create that in an artificial way. You know, like, well, let's do prenups and let's make sure that everything is separate so that if we do separate, there's going to be minimal damage. And it's kind of like, you know, starting off with the cart before the horse. It's admitting defeat yeah. in my yeah. way of looking at that before you even get started. Yep. Yeah. You, you, if you're making provision for how you're going to break up. Escape. Right. Before you start, <laughs> then you're not in it. You're not committed to it. Mm-mm. You got to be committed to it. Like there's no, there's no prenup. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to separate. I don't want to give you half. I don't want to have half. I don't care about the stuff, Mm-mm. you know. Yeah, if the stuff is more important than the relationship, that's a problem. That is yeah. the problem. The value of the relationship is the relationship. Mm-hmm. 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 It's would, not the stuff you acquire because that stuff, who cares about that right. stuff? I would tell him, I don't want to be sitting on the front porch when we get old and we're rocking and we're just looking at the landscape and discussing memories and I start sharing something with him. He goes, I don't have a clue what you're even talking about because it was with somebody else. I don't ever want to have that kind of conversation with him. Mm -hmm. Our memories are our memories. It's our life lessons. Good and and bad. Good Mm -hmm. or bad. Even the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. It's our time together. And I don't want to start over. Holy smoke, who wants to do that? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I, I, I mean... To find a, a, another human that could be with me through all of the stupid junk that I've ever said and done. I mean, because I've, I look back on it some and I think to myself, oh my God, how could you possibly say some of the things that you said? But it's part of, of learning, becoming who you are, is that when you say something stupid, you've got a person that you can trust to say, well, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and you can... Even if you bristle at that, you walk away and you think, okay, is there validity what she said is that it's stupid? And real often, it didn't take me very long. Yep, that was stupid. Yep. <laughs> Pastor used to always tell us that uh, you can only be young and stupid for so long. You, you got to, you got some point, you got to grow up and get past that. So yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah, the point of being in relationship is to help each other become better versions of yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're not paying attention and witnessing each other's lives. If you don't trust the person, Mm -hmm. you got to trust the person that they're, they really have your best interest at at, at heart. They're not, you, you just know they're, it's not, they're not trying to just make what gratifies themselves. They're, they're looking out for you just like you're looking out for them. Same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that concept is interesting because the, the entire animal kingdom does that. That's what courting is about Mm -hmm. to prove that you are, capable of taking care of the other one dependable yeah mm-hmm. and and i think when we add sexuality in before that before we know that we can trust that person or that they can really you know be there during the difficult times and the vulnerable times it's over already before mm-hmm. it begins yeah you know i want to ask how much face-to-face time do the two of you have over a course of a week and face-to-face time is just the two of you, no distractions, so TV's not on, you're not watching movies or anything like that, but just the two of you interacting. A lot. We, we like talking to each other. I think our, our favorite time is after the TV's gone off, after everybody's gone to bed, because currently our situation is we have um, 
his mom has moved back in with us, so we're helping with her and helping with my oldest daughter has moved back home as well. So we kind of have to really, you know, divvy out the time and then we take our time. And I think it's more, it is late in the evening when we are just the two of us and we can talk and we can share our thoughts of how the day went. And, um, yeah, I can cook him a lot of eggs to go to work and he just that's one of his favorite well, weekends, things um, weekends days that we don't have to be somewhere we we talk a lot i mean mm-hmm. we um and even when i'm at work or she's working you know we we, t- we talk we get on the phone or whatever and, and or video chat or whatever and talk mm-hmm. even if we're not looking at it if we're not in the same sitting together we're 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 talking so i mean and we could do that i mean we've worked together in ministry and churches and full-time ministry where we were in the same office together and so we could do that i i know some people can't um, they get frustrated with each other if they're together too much but i don't think we could be together mm-hmm. too much as much time as possible i, would, I think would be the answer as much time as we can possibly squeeze in yeah, I think that's really important to point out, and, and also to your point earlier that you guys spend your anniversaries mm-hmm. really investing in your relationship, because mm-hmm. if you're not investing in that relationship, you're not growing together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of couples that have, I should say that there's been studies that show that happy, healthy couples are, are spending five to six hours a week minimum wow. of face-to-face time. That's minimum. And couples, you know, most of the time that we're running into, they're, they don't even have an hour. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. And their kids are right in between them. And, mm-hmm. and the last trip they know. took together was their honeymoon, oh yeah, my which was goodness. maybe 10, Focus. 15 years ago mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that. And, and so when you make your marriage the cornerstone of the family, then you are doing it the right way. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. Well, I think we talked about it very early on in our marriage is that our kids will grow up and they will be gone. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do when that happens? You know, what are we going to do? I see lots of people that cohabitated and Mm -hmm. they really didn't have any real relationship with their spouse. They just had kids in common. And as soon as the kids got grown and moved out, that was it. They were done. And so we decided early on, we, we made it a point to make our relationship a priority. We love our kids. We took care of our kids. They're grown. But we, we made a point that our relationship had to be priority for many reasons. For the stability of the children, that they could see that in us, that we loved each other, that we were going to be there together for them. And the fact that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, and I needed to know this person, really know this person, and he really needs to know me. So it was more, I think we were very on, it was a very purposeful um, action. You don't have to work at uh, being friends with your best friend. All you got to do is be best friends with them. If you want to be best friends with somebody, that's who you want to be with. So if you have an option to do something else or, or spend time with your mate, with us, for I, some people, I mean, maybe they're, I don't know, but I know that with us, uh, our best time is that we're going to be able to spend time together. Uh, we're not, I don't need some other stimulation from some other source, uh, hang with the guys, and I just, am, I just don't need it. I've never been interested. I don't have to work at that. It's not that I have to try 
to cultivate the relationship. If I've got time away from whatever I've got to deal with, it just I'm gonna do that. It's just we, what we I want. We just want to be do. around each other. It's fun to just be around each other. So I bring him to work with me yeah. on his day off. That's how we know him. Hence, <laughs> hence today, That's how right? you know. <laughs> yeah, and long rides in the car is the perfect time. It's great. Yeah. Conversation. Talk, you know, yeah. And she can tell me how to not to drive. <laughs> and, uh, You're going too fast. <laughs> you know, the power of your guys' story is that you didn't come from these great examples or these rosy childhoods that you had to deal with stuff mm-hmm. early on and you consciously chose to have a good and healthy relationship mm-hmm. and to heal from that and that's really really powerful mm-hmm. and anyone that chooses it can do it yep i agree yep and you got really conscious about it i agree yep. it's all about choices yeah. it is and that's another thing is is that you don't feel this just gushing over um, just intoxicating passionate love for somebody but for a a few months or a couple of years or something and at some point then it's just I choose to love this person I choose to want to be with this person it's and every day invest even when you're Mm -hmm. angry because they told you something that you didn't like or even if something happened that the two of you disagreed about you still, I choose to, to make this person my, the center of my focus. Yeah. That's it. So last question. Mm-hmm. What is it that your partner does that you know they love you? You can go first. Fixes me eggs. <laughs> <laughs> she, takes, she takes care of me. Oh. She's, we, we studied the five love languages years ago. And she, acts of service is one of her big things that she since she likes to receive that she likes to give that and so she does things she takes care of me she takes care of the family the house the the grandkids so that's the big thing that that i that lets me know that she's that she loves me yeah same thing he does the same thing there's nothing there isn't anything i don't believe that he would not do for me period and so just knowing that, just having the knowledge of that is the biggest thing. I just know it. There's not anything that I can't go to him and say, we need to talk or I need this or, and he's there. Open ears, open heart, open mind, 24-7. We get wounded through relationship and we heal through relationship. Mm-hmm. And you guys are a great testimony cool. to the healing that can happen after getting wounded through relationship. Nice. Beautiful. Steve and Deborah, we want to thank you so much for being on our yeah. podcast today. You it's bet. been really wonderful. Thank you for the conversation. You betcha. Yeah. For all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today again and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions or comments or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, which is coming up this September 9th through 12th, our online membership called Connections, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com.
And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.